Well, good morning. It's great to be with you this morning and to be in God's house, God's church, uh, with God's people on God's day. And uh, this is always uh, an important time uh, for me uh, to come and, and worship with the people of God every Sunday. There's something about worship that does something to us. It's not just what we do for God. It's what it does to us. It transforms us. Uh, it shapes us. And it makes us into the kind of person that God wants us to be. Um, I, as was just said, I'm a missionary in North Africa and the Middle East. And, um, but I think you should probably know a little something about me before that. And that is that before I came to Christ, um, uh, I was a man that was going down the wrong road, going down the wrong path. And not just a little bit, but badly. And um, I was involved uh, in the music industry. I was involved in drugs, alcohol. Um, I was arrested and convicted uh, for selling cocaine. I did four years in the state penitentiary uh, for my crime. And it was while I was there that God saved me and restored me and uh, called me to the ministry. So um, I give him all the praise and the glory and the honor because he took what seemed like a wasted life and he delivered me. He delivered me from my sins. He delivered me from drug addiction. Uh, and he called me to himself and he called me to the ministry. And so I have to tell you that as I stand here this morning, I stand here as a very grateful man. And um, he has called me uh, to be a missionary in a very difficult part of the world, North Africa and the Middle East. And I want you to know that I am one of your missionaries. That is that this church, Christ Church in town, uh, supports our ministry financially. And the first thing I want to say to you is that I'm very, very grateful for this, uh, for this support. And so are all the people that, uh, that you help to minister to in North Africa and the Middle East. I want you to know, and I want you to hear it loudly, that they, they, they say thank you. Thank you for all of your support. Thank you. Thank you for all of your prayers uh, that you offer on their behalf. We have been blessed uh, to train uh, over 300 leaders and pastors in the Middle East and North Africa. Uh, we have planted and built 25 churches in the heart of the Islamic world. And we started a theological seminary there to train leaders and pastors for the ministry of God. Um, and so we are blessed to partner with you and grateful that you have partnered with us in this ministry. So I just want to say thank you, first of all, before we, before we do anything else. Thank you 
very, very much. Um, in 1969, on July 20th, America landed on the moon. And I was 12 years old when this happened, just a little boy. And I remember watching the whole thing unfold on television, right? Watching men put themselves on the top of a rocket, ascend beyond the heavens, and land on the moon. And I remember what an exciting, awesome thing that was as a little boy. I remember a, a, a lot of kids growing up at that time uh, wanted to be astronauts because that was just such an exciting thing to witness that man could actually put someone on the moon. What I didn't know at that time was that 73 leaders from around the world were asked to send goodwill messages that the astronauts took up onto the moon and left there. And those goodwill messages are still there to this day. They were inscribed on a small disc, a silicone disc, about the size of a 50 cent piece. And 73 different messages from 73 different countries were inscribed on that little disc. And then that disc was one of three things that were left on the moon. Uh, and it's still there to this day. One message was from Pope Paul VI. And Pope Paul VI sent a message that I think is, is an appropriate one and a profound one to commemorate such an event as landing on the moon. And the message that Pope Paul VI sent was the same message that I want to read again to you today that was just read from here today. And that is Psalm 8. Today, Psalm 8 is still on the moon. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. And out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at the heavens and the work of your fingers and the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the fields, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And the first thing that I want you to see about this psalm, I like to take my cues from reading the psalms from the way that the literature is actually arranged. In other words, I like to look at the literary devices see the, uh, how the literature was arranged by the poet. In this case, the poet is David. And how he arranged the literature so as to highlight what the poet himself thinks that we ought to get from the poem. And the first thing that you notice about this poem 
is that it begins and it ends in praise. That is, it begins and ends in doxology. It begins and ends in adoration. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, and out of the mouths of infants you have established strength because of your foes. But the, the poem, the psalm, begins and ends in, in praise. And what that tells us is, is that the poem, the psalm, is framed in praise. In poetry and literature, we call this an inclusio. It, it, it means that the psalm uses the same words at the beginning that it does at the end. It's a framing of the entire psalm. And it's instructive for us. What it tells me, and what I think David is trying to point out by using this structure, is that our lives should be framed in praise. That the way that we live should be framed in praise. Our lives themselves should begin in praise and end in praise. And that's what David illustrates for us. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. And then again at the end, oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. It begins and it ends in praise. And that's the way our lives should be. Our lives should begin and end in praise. You know, one of the things that separates us from every other creature on this earth is that we can praise God. We can bless God. You know, when God created everything that exists in Genesis 1 and 2, he created the heavens and the earth, he created everything that exists, and then he blessed it, right? He blessed it. Six times he says that it's good, it's good. We call this the benediction of creation. A benediction means speaking a good word. That's what we do at the end of our worship service. We pronounce the benediction. We speak a blessing. We speak God's good word for God's people. And, and so God speaks this blessing this benediction over everything that he has made in the heavens and the earth. He speaks this good word, and he blesses us. And he says it's good. And then when he creates man and woman, he says, and it's very good. So all of the created order, right, God blesses, and he says that it's good. But what separates us, what separates you and me, what separates the human being, the human race, from everything else and from every other creature that God has made is that we are the only creatures that can bless God back in praise. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. The beginning and then the end. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth.
on the earth. Our lives are to be framed in praise. In praise to the majestic name of God who has set his glory above the earth. And so our lives are to begin and end with praise. And I want to point out something here. It's in praise of God's name because he has set his glory above the heavens. Now, the word glory, I want to suggest, is synonymous with the word beauty. We don't often look at it that way, but it actually is. The idea of beauty is the idea of radiance. And so glory is related to the idea of radiance or beauty. You know, when it comes to God, we often think in different categories. We think about the truth of God. We think about the goodness of God. But I don't think often enough we think about the beauty of God. We think about these categories when we do a lot of different things. The true, the good, and the beautiful. In fact, those were three categories that were used in Greek philosophy, and they were three categories that are used in theology. The true, the good, and the beautiful. And we usually approach it in that order. The true first, then we talk about the good, and then maybe we get around to talking about the beautiful. But most often, we never get around to it. And I want to suggest this morning that we need to recover the idea that our God is beautiful, that we serve a beautiful God. He's not only true, he is true. And he's not only good, he is good. He's true and he's good. But today I want to proclaim that God is a beautiful God. And his glory, his majesty, his splendor, his radiance has been set above the heavens. We have a beautiful God. God is beautiful. This, and not only that, but this praise of the beautiful God that we serve is also powerful. And I think we forget that, that praise is actually powerful. He says, out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes. And, and the, when, this is, when Jesus speaks about this verse in Matthew chapter 21 and 16, he says, you have established not strength, but praise. You have established praise because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. And what that tells us is, is that praise is not only something that should frame our lives beginning and end. It's not only uh, something that uh, should shape our lives, but praise is also powerful. It's powerful. It's what defeats our foes. It's what defeats our enemies. Praise is a powerful way to live. Out of the mouths of babes and infants, 
you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Praise of the majestic name of God, our beautiful God, who has set his glory above the heavens. Now, the second thing that this psalmist does, first thing, he frames it in praise. The second thing that he does is he takes a question about man that is about the human being, and he places it directly in the center of the psalm. So verse 4, in the way that the literature unfolds here, is at the very center of the psalm. When I look at the heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have set in place, and here's the center of the psalm, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? That's the center of the psalm. In literature, we call this a chiasm. That's a fancy word for, for uh, the way that the literature is arranged. Everything that comes before it and everything that comes after it is surrounds what the psalmist wants you to see as the most important part of the poem. And that's his description of man, his question about man. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? If you were to take a big X, right, and draw it on the song, the place at where those two lines intersect in the center is what the psalmist wants you to see. That's what he considers the most important part of the song. And that's what he doesn't want you to miss. Okay? What he wants you to get is this question that he asked in precisely the center of the psalm. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? There's a lot of descriptions about the human being, about man, and, what, and, and, and attempt to answer the question, what is man? You can go down a lot of paths, sociology, psychology, anthropology, theology, right? You can go all the way down the list, science, go all the way to all of these different subjects, all trying to answer the question that the psalmist has posed. What is man? Right? What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man? One of the most familiar answers, right, that we've heard, in fact, it's, it's, it's a Latin expression that almost everyone is familiar with, right? Man is homo sapien. Have you heard that before? Man is a homo sapien. What is a homo sapien? A homo sapien means man the thinker. Man as the rational being. Man as an intellectual being. Man the wise. So is man a thinker? Does that distinguish him from the rest of what God has created and so forth? Yes. Others, especially from the field of sociology, have said man uh, can be defined as not just 
homo sapien, but homo faber. Another Latin expression that we're not that familiar with, but let me explain it. Homo faber means man the maker, man the builder, man the producer. So what is man? Homo sapien, man the thinker. What is man? Is he man the builder, man the maker? Yes. But first and foremost, above and beyond anything else, man is not simply homo sapien, not simply or merely homo faber. He is homo adorans, man the worshiper. We were created to worship a beautiful, glorious, majestic God who rules and reigns over all the earth, who has set his glory above the heavens. And that's what the psalmist doesn't want us to miss, that we are fundamentally, basically, at our core, worshipers. And the truth about it is, is that you're going to worship something. All human beings are going to worship something. There's no such thing as a human being that doesn't worship. It's only a question of whether or not your worship is directed to the ultimate object of your worship, which is God Almighty himself. And the reason why we gather together, the reason why we come together to worship him is because that it does something to us, right? It reminds us that the supreme, ultimate object of our worship, of our devotion, of our adoration, of our praise is none other than God himself. And so man is first and foremost, man is primarily a worshiper. God has placed us in this world as a worshiper. And our hearts will be restless, as St. Augustine said, until we worship the one true triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So what is man? That's the center. Man in the psalmist has placed man in the middle. So man is in the middle as a worshiper, as one who offers praise and glory to God. But God has also done something to man. Namely, he has put his glory on him. Right? You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Right? He's crowned us with glory and honor. So the psalmist says, praise to God because he has set his glory in the heavens, God's glory above the heavens. Then he says that God has placed his glory on us. And we have just said right, that glory is the same as what? Is the same as what? Beauty. 
God has put his beauty on you. In other words, God has made you beautiful. He's placed his beauty on you, his glory. So we have a beautiful God, and he has made beautiful people. He's put his glory on you. And it's all his doing. Look at the verbs here. You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet. Right? Look at all the verbs. Made, crowned, given, put. It's all God's work. God has made his creation beautiful. And then look what else happens here, right? So man is in the center, right? First God prays to the glorious God. He has set his glory above the heavens. Then man in the center, right? God has put his glory on you. He's put his beauty on you. And then look, on either side of man in this poem falls the beauty of the created world that God has made. Right? Look just before verse 4. In verse 3, when I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have set in place, right? then what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? And then look just below that question, right? In verse 5. So verse 3, what it's about? The glorious, beautiful creation. Then verse 5, what is it about? The beauty of creation. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet, all the sheep and the oxen and all the beasts of the fields, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the depths of the sea. Right? So here's man in the middle, sandwiched between verses that describe God's glorious and beautiful creation. What's above him is the glory and beautiful creation. What's below him, beneath him, under his feet, is the glorious, beautiful creation. What I want you to see is that we have a beautiful God. Not just true, not just good, but beautiful. And that God has made you, his creation, beautiful. And that, although we don't always see it, in fact, we seldom focused on the reality of it, God has placed us in a beautiful It's easy, beloved, to see the ugliness of the world. Especially when we have these 24 news cycles that run day in and day out, weekend and week out, month in and month out. It's easy to see the ugliness of humanity. It's everywhere. It's easy to see the ugliness of the world that we live in and then somehow think that that counts against God's beauty himself. 
and makes him look ugly to us too. I want to recapture the idea that what we believe as Christians, while it is true, it's not simply true, it's not just true, it's not merely true. And I want to recapture the idea while that Christianity, the message of Christianity, the gospel of Christianity is not only true, it's good. But it's not just good or merely good. Why don't we cover the idea that it's beautiful and that there's real beauty here? And let me tell you why I think that's important. I think it's important because the beautiful does something to us that neither the truth or goodness can do. Right? Beauty stops you. It stops you in your tracks. The beautiful stops you. What is beautiful, it captures you immediately. Have you ever seen a beautiful movie? Right? Right? What, have, you, have you ever seen a beautiful person, a beautiful man, or a beautiful woman? What happens? It stops you. Right? You can't just keep on going. It stops you right where you are. And then it claims you. Right? It owns you. And then it sends you. You become a missionary for the beautiful. Right? The beautiful acts on you in a way that the truth and goodness can't act on you alone. The beautiful stops you, right? then it names you, it claims you, and then it sends you. When you see a good movie, what do you do? You keep it to yourself? Is that what you do? No. Right? You tell all your friends, all your family, you've got to see this movie. You become an evangelist for it. You become a missionary for it, right? You become an apostle for it. When you see a beautiful man or a woman, right, what happens? You keep that to yourself? No, right? You want to tell everybody about this, right? It stops you. It names you. It claims you, and it sends you. And that's why I want to recover this idea of the beautiful. When Jesus, right, was going through Galilee and he saw his disciples, right, what happened? Right? It stopped them in their tracks. Right? Then it claimed them. Then what happened? What did he do? He named them. Right? He renames many of the disciples. Right? What's going to happen to us at the end of creation, right? God's going to give us a new name, right? He names them. So he, they stop. And when the disciples encounter Jesus, and I want to suggest the beauty of Jesus, it stops them. Then it claims them. Then he names them. And then what's he do after that? He sends them. The truth is important. 
Goodness is important. But I want to recover the idea of beauty. We have a beautiful God. God has made beautiful people. And he's put us, if you allow him to let you see it, in a beautiful world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and for this song. You are the majestic God that has set your glory and your beauty above the heavens. And you have made your people beautiful by virtue that you have put your glory on them. And you have placed us in a beautiful world. And we give you thanks and praise and glory and honor in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.